94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, online at kpfa.org. Hello and welcome. Oh, I'm not, I'm not quite on there. Hello and welcome to Open Book, cover to cover, as I like to say, real to real. My name is Raina Cowan here for the next half hour talking to you about film. Uh, it's always great to have sort of a year-end wrap-up and think about what the trends are for the year. You know, everybody has their list of like the 10 best films. And I have to say that when I read them in the newspaper or read online, I almost always disagree. <laughs> so I thought that um, I wanted to have a conversation with someone who I really like how they think about film and and also kind of try to think through um, the different films that came out this year and and what we think and what the trends were. So to do this, I invited Zoe Elton, who is the director of programming at the Mill Valley Film Festival and somebody who I have interviewed many times over the years and who I always find um, thoughtful and inspiring. Inspiring. Welcome to KPFA. Hey, thank you, Raina. So why don't we start? Look, this has been quite a year for a number of themes. And and I'm wondering, uh, like, where would you start in term? I mean, you watch maybe 300 films a year or some some f- amazing number of films, right? That you're we watch a lot of films. Yeah. Yes, because you're, <laughs> you're capturing not only just films from the U.S. but also international films. Right. So, uh, like, what have you seen in the U.S. so far as one of the key themes that um, has come up in a lot of films this year? Well, I think the single strongest theme is. And it's it's the U.S., but it's also interesting in, in looking at it in other parts of the world. Is is uh, I'm not going to say African American. I'm going to say Black culture. Um, it's been a really really striking year for this. Um, obviously, Twelve Years a Slave, which personally I think is one of the most devastatingly brilliant films I've ever seen and I'm ever likely to see. Um, but also, uh, Fruitvale Station. Um, and uh, The Butler. Um, and there were a couple of documentaries that came out. Um, one of them will be on HBO, um, I believe in January, um, about Alice Walker, um, which is by Pratiba Parmar. Um, Alice Walker, Beauty and Truth. Um, and then there's also um, Whoopi Goldberg's film about Moms Mabley. So there's been an incredible look at... Uh, black and African-American culture, I think, this year. Um, it was really striking to me at Mill Valley Film Festival. We worked with Variety, the, the film trade magazine. They wanted to do a, um, a panel of directors who might be on award season track. And we had five, um, maybe like six directors. Um, and of those, two of them were black. Uh, Steve McQueen, who should not be um, confused with the white Steve McQueen, who is no longer with us, but black Steve McQueen is the British director of 12 Years a Slave. Um, uh, Ryan Coogler was also on that panel, you know, first-time director with Fruitvale Station. Um, It was very striking that there were no women on the panel, but it um, it was quite extraordinary to me that for the first time, I think, ever, there have been several viable films um, that have really sort of hit the water running from African-American directors and on African-American themes. Well, let's start with 12 Years a Slave, because I have always uh, 
liked his work. I mean, he did Hunger, which I thought was an incredibly strong film, a yeah. uh, much more arty film about, uh, you know, basically a hunger strike in Ireland. Uh, and then it was followed by Shame. And, uh, and since that time, I've seen many different pieces that he's done at museums because he mm-hmm. does a lot of installation video. So I was really interested in 12 Years a Slave. I know it, it showed at Mill Valley Film Festival and there was such a buzz about the film. So that first struck me because, mm-hmm. um, the stereotype about Mill Valley is sort of more of a white, maybe upper middle class kind of community but in actuality it was a film that everybody was really interested in and two uh, that everybody seemed to be focusing on the fact of how strong it was from the very first mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. Uh, you actually uh, talked with Steve McQueen uh, quite a bit when he was there what was, what was he like and how did he I mean how different was what he expected about the reception for this film than what actually happened. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I th- I think um, I actually interviewed him twice. Once when he was in Toronto when the film had first shown, and then the second time in Mill Valley when it had had a cu- you know it had, had a couple of uh, public screenings, um, and it really struck me in Toronto because he asked me why I thought it was hitting such a nerve. I mean, I've never actually had anyone ask that before. Um, And I think that the film, for me, I I saw it in July. And one of the things that's really great for me about this work is that I'll see something before it's been reviewed, before people have had opinions about it. Mm. And I like being able to have that sort of clean slate. Um, Because you can kind of surrender to the film in a way, you know, without any baggage around it. Um, But... I saw it uh, the week, the same week that the Trayvon Martin case um, was came down, and Obama had spoken. And if you put the film not just into the context of history, but into the context of now, um, I think that it hit it hits the zeitgeist. I, not only, I mean, I think it's it's. It's a genuinely brilliant film. And I think the way that he works as a filmmaker is extraordinary. And I think it's it's important that that we remember what you just said about his other work. He comes with a significant body of work as a visual artist, as an installation artist. And I think one of the things that's really striking about him as a human being is his incredible confidence. You know, he's really, he doesn't suffer fools. Uh, he's very confident and very specific about his work. Um, and he seems to just really connect into a taproot that's so focused in the way that he deals with the subjects that he's dealing with, which are frequently quite taboo. And because he is a black man who was, you know, born and brought up in the British Isles, you know, from the West Indies originally, I think that he had almost like a running start over this material because he wasn't brought up in the United States. I feel like, you know, quite often um, stories in the United States that end up, uh, black stories, uh, you know, that end up on film um, have historically often been owned by either white directors or white characters. And um, 
that hasn't been so true this year, you know, I mean, going back to Lee Daniels and, and to uh, Ryan Coogler's films as well. But I think that um, there's something almost, um, you know, there's almost a release from the, the culture of, of being involved in America, you know, growing up in America that, that somebody uh, from a different part of the world has. Well, it's also interesting in terms of that film, it starts off where you see this person basically doing sugarcane, you know, uh, uh, having a machete and cutting. There are no, there's no words, there's no music. It's silent for the first beginnings of the film. Mm -hmm. It's a really interestingly different way of entering a film that, you know, it's funded partly by Plan B, you know, Brad Pitt's company. Mm -hmm. But that, so there's a Hollywood element that's there but the first element is that he is going to show a story in a way that's so different than what we usually see from Hollywood films and you know you just have to compare it to for example to Django Unchained where Mm -hmm. it was so uh, everything was kind of over the top there's a subtlety and an intensity um, and the most strong moments in the film, I think, were ones where no one was speaking and you just saw their faces on the camera. Yeah. Uh, so you would think, okay, this is something that's very unique. And you would think this was this is something that maybe would fly for a general American population. But something changed, something happened, and it did. I think in doing that, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And he will hold the camera on a face to a point that is much longer than most filmmakers are comfortable with doing. But in doing that, he allows us to feel the feelings. But I think the other thing also in the setup of the film is in the story and the nature of the story because he introduces us, you know, obviously in that that sort of the prelude and the preamble we see uh, without words, um, you know, somebody working in the fields. But then... When we actually meet him, he's a free man. We get introduced to a whole human being. We see a family man with his kids, with his violin, with his life, um, you know, confident in himself, um, you know, not without those sideward glances from other black people who are not free. But we are really introduced to a full character. And... So when we go on the journey with him, there's been a humanizing introduction to character. And I I think that's what Steve McQueen does in all of his films. Um, And that's what, you know, transcends the taboo of of what we're looking at. Well, before we move on from him, because as you said, there wasn't a lot of women's representation in most films this year. Maybe stories we tell, which we can get to at the end, which I really liked by Sarah Polly, uh, which I think is a really interesting film. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that Steve McQueen said in an interview is that he saw this film as a feminist film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, now that's really interesting because there was something uh, I, I was thinking about the ways that uh, who how how everyone is seen in this film. And I don't mm-hmm. know if if you see what he's talking about. What did you think he meant by that? Well, I thought that was a little confusing, but then I thought, well, that there is a way where uh, nothing has been sexed up 
for mm, example, mm, mm. Uh, that there is a level of even of, of the brutality that we see the brutality so much yeah. in films. Either there's a cutaway or something is we're not allowed to see. But the moments of strength that are so painful when yeah. the main uh, character who says, please kill me because this is a horrible life. Yeah. I can't live this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you are seeing different perspectives on how the slave woman is being seen by the woman of the manor, by the man who of the manor, the, the master who is yeah. so exploitative. And then this uh, way where the main character is trying to negotiate something. So right. um, there is something powerful there. Well, that's, that's true. And I think that um, both... You know, the, the, the women characters in the film, not that you necessarily have to de- define a feminist film by just the women characters, um, are very, are as specifically defined as the male characters, I think. Um, Lupita Nyongo is extraordinary. I mean, ah. that is, I mean, that is such a breakthrough role for this. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's such a brilliant performance. Um, and I think Alfre Woodard, I mean, she has a, you know, she has a smallish role, but she's such a, a nuanced actress that the that the that little insight that we get from her you know about what it is to be a woman who's essentially transcended her situation or or has survived or has figured out how to survive is extraordinary but you know when you're saying um uh, Lupita Nyong'o came to the festival um and she was saying that um in one, there, there were a lot of interviews that they were having when people were asking ridiculous questions. And I said, well, like what? And she said, well, somebody said to me, Michael Fassbender, who plays the um, the role of the, the white slave owner who is brutal and who is um, who takes her as his mistress, um, some person said to her, well, what was it like to kiss Michael Fassbender? Huh. And obviously they had not seen the film, mm. you know, and I think that that a, a lot of the ways that films are seen diminishes, you know, the connections that we have with people and the, the relationships that you see on screen in that kind of way. Um, it was but it was horrifying to hear that that question had been asked. Well, that's interesting because I think if I was going to ask Steve McQueen any question, it would be that the that the pain in the script is so strong. Mm-hmm. Even though most times films are being shot out of sequence, the level of brutality mm-hmm. that the actors are feeling, how could it not somehow impact them? And I wondered mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. how the sort of the atmosphere of the set mm-hmm. would be changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how uh, the actors would start reacting and relating to each other. Mm-hmm. I know that they're acting and that they can. Some of them can pull out of character and some can't. But being a witness or a participant in something yeah. on either side, either being one of the abusers or being somebody who was victimized in the way that they were, I was really interested in that. Yeah, <clears throat> we talked about that a little bit, and um, he, I think. One of the things that he does is somehow create a really significant trust with his actors. So they are, you know, they really, they show up for him. Um, and I think the other thing is he said, well, you know, at the end of the day, we would go and have a drink. And he, I think he just takes, I think he has a way of creating um, an atmosphere on set where he takes care of his people. 
mm. um, so that they are supported and embraced by his and loved by his work. And you know, you were asking before about what he's like because he's, he he can seem kind of prickly when you interview him, but he's he's just it's just kind of like a part of who he is, and yet it's very obvious that that the work that he does with actors is incredibly is profound and supportive. And I think that's the key. I think that's how you can transcend. And I, the other word that you brought up is witness. Um, I think that we end up being able to witness, you know, this, this, this is based on a story that happened. It based, it's based on a book um, that, you know, hopefully now we'll get back into the public eye. Um, and it, it, it gives us a chance to, to witness something. Yes. We're talking with Zoe Elton, who's the director of programming at the Bill Valley Film Festival, and we're just talking through the year. Uh, that was such a an extraordinary theme, and we probably could spend the whole time talking about it. Uh, one sentence about Fruitville Station, mm. where you're able to see somebody both with their strengths and their weaknesses mm. and how they come out in one day. Mm-hmm. I think that that's wonderful when that happens in a film and yeah. that there's um that there's a realness so many times uh that there's almost a false sense of three-dimensionality of characters in films made in the u.s and i, I thought that there was something that was captured there that i thought was unique and uh, i saw that uh the filmmaker came to to like berkeley high school and mm. probably to others to talk about the film and i can imagine the kinds of discussions that that film could really create. Yeah, I think so, and I think it's it's re- it is really striking, and I think fabulous that that you know Ryan Coogler, Bay Area first time director, um, has an attitude actually towards character that I find quite similar to Steve McQueen. I think both of them, both of their work is powerful because they succeed in essentially letting the characters shine through in a very real honest way that's kind of non-judgmental you know i feel like ryan coogler just is is a you know is a rising star really i mean i think that what he did with the film allows us to experience the, the that story in a way that's really really smart you know just the structure that he uses and the way that he lets the the characters and that day evolve um, is really beautiful work, and I'm, I'm really excited to see him evolve as well. Yes. So let's move on. What are the, some of the other themes that you've seen this year? Well, w- one thing that, that came up is, is, is like one person alone against the elements. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> um, uh, Robert Redford was alone in a boat against the elements, um, against the elements of the sea. And uh, Sandra Bullock ended up being alone in a spaceship against, you know, both inner and outer, you know. It, it was actually actually interesting. You know, gravity made me think about space as a part of nature, whereas I think most other films that, are, that you know, that are about space exploration or, you know, whatever, are usually adventure films. Um, not that this is not an adventure film, obviously it kind of is, but because I'd seen it back to back with All is Lost, the Redford film, it made me really think about the nature of space, of, you know, of, of space travel. 
as opposed you know, you know as as an as an element of nature as opposed to the ocean which is very a very obvious element of nature well it's it's interesting do you think that the fact that the Sandra Bullock film was in 3D mm-hmm. affected that in some kind of way space all of a sudden mm. took on a, a a a sense of you could fall forever and you could literally like at, yeah. in that film there's these moments where she is like turning over and over and over and you think does it ever stop or can one stop where there's an illusion that somehow the water is <laughs> not solid but it's it's like there um yeah when you're in space you're just like a very little part of infinity really aren't yes, you yes yeah. yeah i guess i mean i guess we're all in space in a way but but actually having to confront space is is a very different thing well, it's funny. In those films, there was a way that I was paying a lot of attention to the technical issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking of that here it was, Sandra Bullock is really in a room that's, whatever, 15 by 15, and she is moving around uh, in these ways as if she is doing a gymnastics routine, and that somehow... Uh, computers all around her are transforming that until she looks like she is in space. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, is this a protective function? <laughs> because I don't want to have the experience of feeling like there's no, there's no way to control anything. Or is there some way where, um, I, I guess the space is both, uh, agoraphobic and kind of, uh, smothering at the same time you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh and like when she's going moving and you just you have to somehow negotiate with something um i didn't negotiate so much with her as a character mm. i think i negotiated with space yeah. and um and i was also irritated at those moments where all of a sudden she takes off all of her clothes and i think <laughs> uh, this is going to be like a wet t-shirt um solution to um a woman being in space, you know, yeah. but so that there was something uh, versus the, you know, the stillness, I guess, the yeah. the Robert Redford himself is so much bigger than uh, that character that he's playing. So how do you negotiate who he is? Like he and who Robert Redford is yes. or who the character is, who yeah. Robert Redford is right. like, does that, uh, you know, when does being an actor and being a well-known actor, get in the way of the role, and when does it help the role? I guess that was that's what I, why mm. I'm interested in. That role is such a, uh, well, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say elemental kind of role. You know, I mean, um, I, I don't think with a face as 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 well-known as Redford's that you can ever really avoid that. But um, I think that the nature of the film, because it's primarily in silence you know, a different kind of silence from the other kind of silences we've been talking about. Isn't there's another theme for you, Raina? Oh, silence. Silence, you're right. Yeah. Um I think the fact that the film is non verbal um creates a different relationship. It, you know, in any situation. When you see something that's non verbal, somehow you kind of get drawn in from your heart in a way that, you know, bypasses language. And there's something about that that I find always, you know, as an, as an audience member, when I see films that are, are don't have a lot of language in them, it's very, it works on a very different sort of visceral level, I think, from from films that are very language-based. So with Redford, in a way, I think the fact that it's a non-speaking role um, it, it helps helped me, for you know, a little bit to get away from the fact that it was, you know, this iconic actor. 
It's so funny because it makes me think about her, the Spike Jones mm-hmm. film. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen mm-hmm. that yet. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Where, uh, which is, uh, it's a film that actually just came out, I think, yesterday. And it's a film that takes place in the future where the Joaquin Phoenix character is uh, somebody who falls in love with his operating system, who learns um, through the course of talking to him. And initially, the this figure was played by Samantha Morton, who is a British actress, and uh, for some reason, I guess they decided it didn't work, and they shifted it to uh, to Scarlett Johansson. That's right. Uh, but so Scarlett Johansson is just the voice. She's just embodied voice. So I'm just thinking this yeah. idea about silence. But at the same time, she's a body. She has a body who we all can imagine because mm. of seeing her in all these roles where she's voluptuous and um, sexy and ha- and knows how to be in that sort of whatever we would call it, the Marilyn Monroe fantasy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, so that there's some way where her voice needed to be linked to a body, even though we don't see the body, we just hear the voice. And you're saying with Robert Redford, in order for it to work, we had to not really hear his voice, oh, but, but yeah. see something else happening. Yeah. Huh. Nice connection. (laughs) (laughs) Nice one, Raina. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about, yeah, Scarlett Johansson in that way. But yeah, I mean, even subliminally, you get a sense of of, um, who who the actual actress is behind the voice, in a way, um, in her. Hmm. So I I don't know if if maybe this is a little off topic, but I'm wondering if there's some way to think about, is it that on one level we are so filled up all the time with certain images that everybody knows, certain actors that everybody knows, Hmm. that in response to that we need to create a whole new branch of cinema that's really based on people sort of one-on-one with the elements, that it's no longer about... um, characters interacting with characters but rather something that's larger i don't know why that's happening now i don't know i do i mean i do find it really intriguing that that in the, i mean essentially if you took the plot line of gravity and all is lost is essentially the same thing one person against nature but in a very you know uh, who maybe transcends or maybe doesn't transcend or whatever but you know you're having to do that i mean i think i think really the films are about different things i think all is lost is really about mortality and facing mortality um and gravity i'm not sure is it is it about the state of the universe given that you have uh you know she ends up sort of rampaging through russians and chinese and everything else on her on her uh, interstellar radio system uh, but maybe it's also about mortality because yeah. she goes into yeah. space because she loses her child. Right. And that there's right, some yeah. way she doesn't have, that nothing has meaning. So the idea is, how do you get meaning? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. It is, yeah, it is about the search for meaning. I think you're right. And I think it's also, um, it's also about finding the inner strength to, to transcend. You know, to really, to really pull out everything that you have in yourself, even though, I mean, essentially in her situation, all actually is lost. She, she continues to plug away to find resource after resource after resource, um, to, to transcend odds that are ridiculously against her. 
Yes, and and so that there's some sense where, <laughs> I was going to say, and there's a lot that's ridiculous about that film. I mean, that if you <laughs> looked at the screenplay, yeah. you would think there really isn't a story here, but yet the visuals, the magic of cinema actually turns it into something that is uh, interesting to watch and yeah. engage with. Yeah. So that's that's also something that we are, you know, yeah. it's a year where we were watching something that I think we've been afraid to watch, like mm-hmm. what really happened with slavery. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we're we're willing to sort of, I don't know, fight disbelief and watch something that uh, it's hard to imagine, except for maybe in the minds of, uh, you know, some some people who are really interested in uh, technological advances and yeah and computerized ideas of film. Yeah, but at the same time, I think it's actually a really, you know, I think in a way that anything that tells a story visually, whether it's All is Lost or, I mean, All is Lost, which J.C. Chandor again came to the festival and I asked him about, you know, I said, what does the script look like? And it's basically a few pages of description. You know, it's, it's almost like a treatment, really, essentially. You know, it's not, it's not blow by blow. Um, but I think it's actually really powerful when, I mean, one of the things that's, cinema at its most powerful is visual in cinemas on a big screen you know and i think that these films really warrant being seen in a big on in a theater uh so maybe this is really all about politics here <laughs> it's like how to get people to still go to the movies instead of watch watch things at, at home that i think that that's you know that's really part of all of what it's all about yeah this is also interesting. I want to thank you very much. We didn't even get to um, everything on our list, but um, but I guess we can think about next year. And next year, we've been speaking with Zoe Elton, Director of Programming 